Welcome to Interparty Conflict, the podcast where we answer your questions so you can have the best tabletop gaming experience possible. My name is Gabe. My name is Jeff. And we're going to answer your questions today. But first, I have a question. Jeff. Yeah. Uh-huh. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Uh, I actually do have another question, but uh, but when, go on. <laughs> no, it's just and nothing uh, nothing unusual to report. Doing all right. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I've been you know working mandatory overtime, which sucks. Yeah. Uh, today was my one day off this week, and I got I got some stuff done around the house. Cool. Um, but I, so I have a question for you, Jeff, and mm-hmm. no pressure, but the future of our friendship and and the podcast <laughs> may hang in the balance. Uh huh. What's the question? So, well, I'll set it up a little bit. So, oh, uh, I, hot dogs are not sandwiches. Well, so that's that's not the question. <laughs> All right, thanks everybody. Uh, be sure to <laughs> subscribe. You're good. <laughs> subscribe to this podcast. We will not be making anymore. No. Um. Th- <laughs> well, so funnily enough, it is tangentially. I mean, that is sort of related to that question. And you all are also wrong, but, um, so yesterday I had a craving for a hot dog. So like, uh-huh. this does have to do with hot dogs and listeners, yeah. we did not prepare this ahead of time. <laughs> um, I was at work, I was having a craving for a hot dog. And when I eat a hot dog, I like to put grilled onions on my hot dog. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, come on. I'm, I'm a red blooded American. I like grilled onions on a hot dog. Grilled onions. Just uh, like I would eat a plate of grilled onions. Nah, I wouldn't go that far, but, uh, I also thought there was this thing I did a while ago. I put a fried egg under the hot dog. So I had like the bun and then a fried egg and then onions and then the hot dog. Mm-hmm. And then I also thought of putting a slice of Munster cheese on top and then like putting it under the broiler so it's all nice and melted. Mm-hmm. I thought that sounded like the most delicious thing in the world. When I got home, I, I made two of them and they were both absolutely delicious. However, my wife, Lisa, my lovely wife, Lisa, Posted a picture of it on Facebook and was basically like, this is disgusting, right? This is the most disgusting thing in the world, right? And she got a bunch of people like, yeah, no, that's disgusting. That's that's a war crime. Don't ever do that. I, but it's it's just food. It's, it's food. food. And like all of those are things that I know my wife, uh, maybe not the cheese. She's not really a huge fan of cheese. But all of those things are things that she has eaten before and enjoyed before. Right. So, so. I guess the question is, does that sound good, bad, or somewhere in the middle? It's well, that sounds one of those. It, it that's like a thing you'd get at like a like a street food kind of a thing or something. I don't yeah. know. Like it's like it's delicious. It's 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 it not was delicious. Yeah, listener, like it's, just so you know, it's a lot of like you know greasy fatty things mm-hmm. all put into one, and it's like one of those things. It's like yeah, like like I get that. It's like it's like. It can I can understand it somebody thinking it's gross, not in that they wouldn't want to eat it. <laughs> but like gross as in like any fast food or pizza is gross, you know? It's like yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's greasy and cheesy and it's bad it's probably really bad for you, but oh, I'm gonna eat it. Yeah. I I think I first had the idea for something like this a few years ago. We were at Bonnaroo, the music festival, and there was a there was a vendor that was selling like gourmet hot dogs. And they were all, you know, it was like you would get a hot dog and it had like the this, 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 and this on it. And I think one of them was meant to be like a breakfast hot dog. And so it had a fried egg and then it was the hot dog itself was wrapped in bacon. 
Yeah. Um, and I actually wanted to do that last night, but the only bacon we had was frozen. So I, I did not. Oh. Um, and so, I mean, that's, you know, that's where my mind was it's like, okay, it's basically just that breakfast hot dog, but also with onions. Cause Hey, why not onions? And then cheese. Cause Hey, why not cheese? Right. So, so <laughs> listeners, that's our social media question for the week. Does this hot dog sound good? Right. Yeah. Just post a picture of it. <laughs> and the answer is yes. No, that will not be, that will not be the social media question. So, yeah. So I thought it was delicious and I'm really looking for some validation. So if anybody out there <laughs> could back me up on this, I would appreciate it. I mean, I, I, I'd eat it. Yeah. Like I'd eat it. I'd, well, good. I probably only eat one, but. Okay. Okay. I guess <laughs> Just... we can continue making this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You want to go ahead and uh, jump in this episode? Sure. Okay. All right, so Jeff, I want you to imagine that you are you're searching through some caves. There's this big thing of treasure that you were told you were looking for. It was owned by some dragon that died a long time ago and so on and so on. But anyway, it's supposed to be lots of treasure. So you're you're traveling along, traveling along, mm-hmm. and um give me a give me a perception check. Okay. As you're sneaking along through this this dungeon. Okay. God, this die, man. 17. My goodness. Okay. Uh, small tangent, listeners. We Jeff and I uh, a few days ago played a um, uh, short little game of D and, uh, of Pathfinder, actually Pathfinder Second Edition over Roll Twenty with some friends, and we were all rolling hot fire that night. We were <laughs> getting natural twenties left and right. Well, you and Jay were. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if I was rolling that well. <laughs> okay. But, okay. But you you guys definitely were 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 hitting hard. Well, in my memory, you were definitely part of part of the excitement. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, okay. So you hear someone coming up behind you. Uh-oh. And you turn around and uh, you you see them. You manage to dodge. They like, I don't know, swing a sword at you or something. You dodge out of the way of that. However, as you're dodging out of the way, they've got two attacks. And their second attack, they actually throw a lasso onto you. And uh. next thing you know, you are restrained by this lasso that has 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 caught you. And then as you sort of the the you be, your eyes begin to adjust to what is happening, you realize that this person that has just caught you is some sort of licensed comic book Amazon character. And then that means <laughs> amazon.com? No, not amazon.com. Amazon. Wonder Woman. <laughs> and yeah. that and then you realize what this lasso is that you got lassoed with, and then you hear this this attacker say to you, "Where are you headed?" I'm headed to the Dragon's Horde. So, listeners, this just a warning: this is not the lasso of truth. Today's item is the lasso of doom. Oh gosh! This was submitted by the Beverage Tea via Discord. Uh, this is a martial melee weapon. It is a rare magic item. The Lasso of Doom is a fourth series lasso created by Popper Popper Garmachel, an arcanically talented cowpoke whose craft has allowed him to move from steer herding to lasso smithing. <laughs> series one and series two lassos were basic in their restrainability, but they still fetch a nice price on the used lasso market. Starting with Series 3, Popper started getting pimpy, or blingy, with his lasso magic, infusing fairy fire and dancing lights into his lassos. Huh. With Series 4, Popper has taken a dark turn. 
by adding banshee hair into the lasso, Popper is able to infuse a variant of the Phantasmal Killer spell. Oh. The wielder must make an attack roll, a melee attack roll versus a single target's AC. Upon a hit, the target is restrained and takes 2d6 psychic damage. At the end of the target's next turns, it can use its action to break free from the lasso, succeeding on a strength saving throw of 13 or higher, which ends the restrained condition. On a failed saving throw, the target remains restrained and takes another 2d6 psychic damage. Hmm. So yeah, it's basically, it's a lasso that you restrain someone, and then they take damage every round until they can succeed on a uh, on a sa- strength saving throw. Cool. So not super complicated, you know. It's got some fun little, uh, some fun little flavor behind it and such. And uh-huh. I, I actually would be interested in seeing like what sort of effects the fairy fire and dancing lights might have on it. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Because the, um, the thing with fairy fire is it lets makes it so you can't like they have like an outline around them, so like invisibility doesn't work that kind of thing. Yeah. So that that's kind of a cool idea for like a lasso. Like you you restrain them with a lasso, and then they become like an easier target. Sure. Be like, ooh, uh, what's what's like guiding bolt? I think gives the next attacker advantage or something like that. Yeah, that'd be a cool idea for like a lasso item where it like it you know I guess the restraint which I think already gives them advantage. Oh, it probably does. Yeah. So no, yeah. I like this. This is cool. Yeah, I mean it's it's a pretty simple item, but it's it's fun. I don't think I've ever seen a a magic lasso before outside of the aforementioned uh, <laughs> licensed right. comic book character. Right. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have much else to say. It's just a, it's a neat item, and uh, yeah, it's cool. Uh, uh, yeehaw! <laughs> yeehaw! So thank you very much, uh, the Beverage Tea, for submitting that. Once again, that was the Lasso of Doom submitted via Discord. Those uh, poor so cows. <laughs> I I feel like cows would be immune to psychic damage. <laughs> Why is like, that, Gabe? Say it. Say it, cows are dumb. It's not that they're dumb. It's that they're, I don't know, unconcerned. <laughs> sure. Although, hey, fun fact, cows have best friends. That cow is their best friend. Cows have best friends and they produce, unless I'm mistaken, they produce more milk when they are in a herd with their best friend. Oh. So, yeah. So, so don't worry about psychic damage, everybody. Cows are immune because of the power of friendship. Right. Yes. <laughs> yep. At the very least, they get advantage on the uh, on the saving throw. There you go. That 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 works. All right, that'll do it for the Dragon's Horde today. Once again, thank you, uh, uh, the Beverage Tea, Jeff. If anybody else wanted to submit magic items for the Dragon's Horde, or they wanted to submit questions for us to discuss, or stories for the funeral pyre, or whatever we're doing at the end of these episodes, how would they get those to us? Uh, they can email us at interpartyconflict at gmail or join us on our interparty Discord at bit.ly slash interpartydiscord. That's correct. We've actually gotten a few uh, a few more people in the Discord over the last week or so. So nice. Uh, so good job, everybody and everybody else. Hey, come on in. You don't need to be a patron. You don't need to do anything. Just just go to like Jeff said, bit.ly/slash/interpartydiscord. Yeah. And before we go any further, we have a giveaway to give away, and not just any giveaway. This is a new giveaway. We've been talking about this for the last few weeks. We are now going to be giving away a copy of three character options created by Crit Academy. And the three character options are the Warmind, which is a psionic-themed cleric domain, the Skybreaker, which is a fighter archetype, and the Werecat player race. 
So those mm-hmm. three, those three little mini supplements, uh, courtesy of Crit Academy, we're going to be giving those away to a lucky winner today. And Jeff, who is the winner of the Warmind, Skybreaker, and Werecat? Today's winner is Michael R. Whoa, 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 winner. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Yes. Congratulations, Michael R. You should be getting that in your email within the next few days. If you don't, be sure to let us know. And of course, leave reviews. I believe you can leave a a review for each of these three. So I know it's a bit more work than we've usually asked our listeners to do in the past, but please leave a review for all of them. Yes. At least one of them, but preferably all of them. You know, the more reviews that Crit Academy gets, the more attention they get, the more they can know to work on in the future. And, you know, Justin from Crit Academy is constantly churning out all sorts of great stuff. So, so, you know, all the feedback he can get, all the attention he can get, send it his way. You know, that's that's the, the least we can ask for for uh, for giving giving these out for free. So congratulations, Michael R. Thank you, Justin from Creek Academy for making this happen. Uh, Jeff, if anybody else wanted to be like Michael R. and they wanted to win a free copy of these three supplements from Crit Academy, how would they enter that drawing? They would send us an email at interpartyconflict at gmail.com with crit three in the subject line. That's correct. And next up, I want to thank all of our wonderful patrons for helping make the show happen. Patreon is an online platform. You can pledge to donate a certain amount of money per month to the creator of your choice. Uh, If you go to patreon.com slash interpartyconflict, you can check ours out. We've got a few different reward tiers. We've got outtakes. We've got a bunch of fantasy fiction that I've written. We've got a monthly bonus podcast called Interpatron Conflict, where we talk about a variety of topics. And then on the top tier, we've got a monthly Roll20 game. And uh, I think the week after this goes out is when uh, is when I'll be running this month's game. So when this comes out, if you would like to join our Roll20 game, there is still time to become a patron and join us. And I believe we should be having a we should have a new patron that joined us last week should be uh, should be taking part in the game this month. So I'm really excited about that. Cool. So once again, patreon.com slash interpartyconflict. Uh, huge thank you to everybody who's donated and supported supported us over the last year or so or, or longer. Um, we know things have been tough. You know, it's it's right around the one-year mark for the coronavirus, you know, like the, the quarantine and everything. We know that everything's really tough for everybody, us included, but primarily, you know, for you guys out there. So if you can't, if you can't afford to support us, no worries. You know, take care of yourself first. Just for everybody who has continued to donate to us and support us during these times, we really appreciate it. You guys are yeah. so awesome. Thank you. Yes, huge thank you. And then one more quick thing. Check out the other podcasts on the Crit Nation Fellowship. Check out Crit Academy at CritAcademy.com. Justin, Ian, and Austin create new and reusable content for players and DMs alike. Check out D&D Character Lab. They actually did just put out a new episode. I mean, they're still still looking for some funding to cover their hosting fees, but uh, you know they are... I believe they are interested in coming out with more episodes, uh, assuming it's it's a viable option for them. So check them out, D&D Character Lab. They make characters and then debate whose characters are better. It's a great, great podcast. And then uh, the other podcasts on various forms of hiatus, check out Brute Force and Ignorance, which is an actual play podcast, and check out the Kind GM podcast, which is another advice podcast for, uh, for running a game specifically. Hmm. So enough of all the admin. Let's get into some questions, Jeff. All right, our first question comes from the Beverage T on Discord, and they ask, what is the difference between magic and psionics? Yeah, so uh, just a, a quick answer to this question. The the answer is going to vary wildly depending on which edition of the game you're talking about. Right. Uh, but 
For anyone not familiar, psionics is kind of like this alternate version of magic that has existed. There has been a version of psionics in every edition of D&D. Ever since first edition, I believe, uh, there's been some form of psionics. And it's the mechanics have always been completely different than the edition before. Like they always try something new. Sometimes they try to make it really similar to magic. Sometimes they make it so completely different from magic. Right. And so it's, that is going to depend largely on the edition. Um, I've, I've done some research on both the current edition. So like fifth editions state of psionics. And then also I have, uh, I like, I have the, the 3.5, Expanded Psionics Handbook. I know a little bit about about how Psionics worked in 3.5. So those are probably the ones we're going to focus on the most. Right. Um, but was uh, there any um, Psionics in fourth edition? There was. There were. It was. Um, each of the classes had what was called just like a power source or like a like a. Oh right. Uh, I don't even know if power source is the right was the right word for it. Basically, like there were like martial classes, there was arcane classes, there were divine classes, and then some of the classes were psionic. I think monks were a psionic class in fourth okay. edition, but I don't think there was any sort of uniform mechanics. It was just oh, this class gets their power from from within. I guess right. Yeah, it was it was more flavor than anything. Pretty much. And so, um, yeah, for someone who is not familiar with psionics at all, if you've never heard of psionics before, psionics is kind of like if there was magic, but the magic was sort of superpowers or sci-fi or something. Like, what if your magic wasn't from a deity? Your magic wasn't from, like, a, a, you know, rigorous study of sigils and and you know chanting and so on what if your magic was like from your mind or from your soul or whatever the Mm -hmm. sorcerer like ever since third edition the sorcerer has kind of been what psionics was at its core sure and so as a result ever since third edition they've kind of they haven't really known what to do with with psionics kind of but a lot of like the artwork for for psionics Involves like crystals and, you know, like uh, beams shooting from your forehead and like tattoos with special powers and, and stuff. And yeah, so that th- mechanics wise, there isn't really like a uniform thing across all of D&D. But psionics always kind of has like a specific aesthetic to it that magic doesn't really have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's the, that's the main draw of it, really. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I guess I'll. I'll try to talk about how psionics worked in third edition so that so that you the listener even though this might not be wholly relevant now so that you the listener can kind of see like where how i was introduced to psionics and like how mm. you know how i picture it when i picture psionics so yeah. um psionics was kind of like a group of uh, it, was, it was a a separate rule set that worked along with D&D um if you were you could either, the book had a bunch of different classes you could take there was like the scion, I think, was the the psionic equivalent of the wizard. There was like the soul knife, which was sort of like a, sort of like a dex based fighter. It wasn't really very psionic, but it was sort. It was a little bit psionic. There was like yeah. the war mind. We mentioned uh, Crit Academy's um, war mind supplement that is inspired by you know some of the stuff that's been part of psionics for years and years. Um, there's like the psionic warrior. 
there was the Wilder, which I think was like a sort of like a um, kind of close to what like Warlocks are now in that like you have like a small number of powers, but that you have like a lot of flexibility with them. I guess they're closer to sorcerers than than Warlocks, but it was it was yeah, a maybe. whole set of classes. You know, it wasn't just one class. It wasn't just one character option. It was this is like an alternate player's handbook where instead of having magic built into everything, it has psionics built into everything. Yeah. And then, like, there were different terms that were essentially just reskins of existing terms. You didn't cast a spell. You manifested a power. Right. And, like, you didn't have a familiar. You had, like, uh, what was it? Like a soul gem or something? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm getting that term wrong. But you had something. You had like a like a crystal instead of a familiar. Yeah, you didn't have scrolls. You had crystals. <laughs> well, well, yeah, pretty much all of the, there's like scrolls, potions, and wands were all like like wands were like crowns or something. You like wore a crown that cast a or manifested a certain power a certain number of times before it ran out. You didn't have a, a potion. You had a crystal or whatever. And so a lot of it was just, you just take existing things and you just call it something different. However, in third edition, the way that that actually casting or manifesting powers worked was significantly different from magic. Significantly enough. Yeah. So where a, a wizard might have, okay, you've got this many first level spells, this many second level spells, this many third level spells, and so on. A scion would instead just get a big pool of points. So like the 5th edition Sorcerer kind of has some of this built in. You would have a whole number of points, and then each time you cast a spell, you would spend a certain number of those points depending on what level of spell was. So if you were casting a... Sorry. If you were manifesting a first level power, you would spend one power point. If you were manifesting a second level power, I believe it would be two power points, then three power points, and so on. But additionally you could spend additional power points kind of like how in 5th edition you can cast a spell using higher level slot. Right. Just remember in 3rd edition that wasn't a thing. You could do it but it didn't give you any benefit. You were just wasting a higher level slot. Right. Um so you could you could take a first level power and then if you were a high enough level, you could spend additional power points and you could really like whore that ability out. You could have like a first level power that was super powerful because you would just crank up all the power by putting a whole bunch of power points in. Now, one thing I should say is that when third edition was going on, my fellow uh, uh, you know third editioners will probably <laughs> will probably be aware that it was kind of the meme, not the internet meme, but the D and D game meme, the D and D party meme, to joke that oh oh you want to be really powerful, just play a scion. Like, oh, you're playing psionics? Oh, so you just want to be the most powerful person in the group. Because I think a lot of us thought you could just infinitely level up one of your powers. You could just put, oh, I've got 30 points. Yeah, sure, I'll cast that power at, you know, with 30 points and do 30 times the damage. Right. And that's not accurate. There were limits on how much you could boost something up depending on your level. But there was still a good amount. There was a lot of flexibility with psionic powers i believe a lot of psionic powers you wouldn't have like fireball you would have like energy ball and then you could make it different energy types depending on who you were using on um so you could you could make the spell more powerful you could make the spell more flexible i think there was also you didn't have like verbal or somatic components 
So you could cast a spell with even if you were bound and gagged. Or sorry, you could manifest a power uh-huh. even if you were bound and gagged. I'm going to do that a lot this episode. But also, um, in a, in, instead of having like verbal and somatic components, each spell had like specific things like, oh, it makes this sound when you cast it. Or like people around you like feel this or or something. There, there were like these these effects that the spell would have anytime they were used. Mm. So like there were there were still visible effects. There were still effects you could use to identify the spell that was being cast. Right. I guess. Um but you know it was just it was kind of a just a different version of magic. It was it was like magic, but what if magic functioned a little bit differently? Mm. What if instead of casting specific spells, you had like this these powers and you could like boost them up really high if you wanted to and so on and so on. Uh, from my understanding, there were some limitations, though, that were not present in spells. For example, if you were, again, this is in 3rd edition, so this is not as accurate in 5th edition, but in 3rd edition, if you were 10th level casting Fireball, it would deal 10d6 damage. If you were 5th level, it would only do 5d6. It leveled up as you leveled up. Your spells did. But the way that Psionics worked, they didn't. Psionics only got more powerful when you spent the additional points. Mm. So maybe there were like, at lower levels, maybe a Scion would be more powerful because you do have more flexibility. You can spend extra points to go Nova and really make your your powers more powerful. However, at higher levels, the Wizard or Sorcerer are spending much less resources because they can cast a first level spell and have it be powered up much higher than a first level spell just by virtue of being a high level character, whereas Scions didn't have that, mm. uh, is is my understanding. I hope any of this is interesting to you people <laughs> who have not played Third Edition, <laughs> right? But so that's that was my introduction to Third Edition. I remember I played with uh, with our friend Chris. Dang, I was in when I was playing as my character Saythorn. Um, I was a cleric. I think Jay was in that campaign. His character Ardric was a, a fighter slash monk. Chris's character was a sorcerer Scion multi class. And so there was just all sorts of stuff he could do with his character <laughs> that, you know, just blew my mind all the time. Cause I didn't know what he, I don't know if he was casting a spell, if he was manifesting a power. Right. But, um, you know, the, the few times I did encounter psionics in a game, it did seem very powerful, maybe just because it was new to me. And so, you know, I, I noticed whenever it did something cool. Um, but you know, the, the flavor wise psionics always kind of has to do with like mental power. I think there were, there were mechanics for like you could engage in a mental battle with someone that had no outward visible visual effects. You could be like sitting at the tavern and lock eyes with another scion and then suddenly go into a whole bunch of like rolling to combat each other. <laughs> and other people in the tavern would have no clue anything was happening. Right. Yeah. You just yeah, staring intently at each other. It's like, whoa. Yeah. It's the most intense um, staring contest I've ever seen. Right. There was a there was another mechanic that was present. I believe in all psionic classes and that was called psionic focus. And what that is, is as long as you have at least one uh, PowerPoint still in reserve that you haven't spent, you can make a concentration check to, to, to like focus your energy inside yourself. Mm. And then a lot of classes had an, had some ability where whenever you are currently in psionic focus, you have this benefit, like maybe your AC is a little bit higher because you're just the energy inside you is creating like a barrier against attacks 
or something like that. But then there were, you could expend your psionic focus in order to do a more power, like to make one of your powers more powerful. You could expend that and then boom, your spell would, your power would do more damage. But then you would have to spend your full round, uh, you know, refocusing yourself to get that back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were a lot of classes that had some variation of when you have your psionic focus, you can do this. When you expend it, you can do this and so on. And in 5th edition, we'll get to some of the 5th the edition Unearthed Arcana class options, but they, they don't quite have that, but they all have something sort of similar, like sort of some unifying mechanic that uh, affects how their abilities work. Mm. So, so yeah, psionics in 3rd edition was this wholly different thing. It, it, uh, it did, it, it functioned a little bit differently. There were a lot of powers that did the same thing as spells. You know, you would have like, I, I don't know if this is actually an example, but like, let's say mage armor could exist as a power and also exist as a spell. And then that was something that brought into question in, again, in third edition, the question of whether psionics and magic overlapped. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a sidebar in the book, in the expanded psionics handbook that said the DM has to make this decision at the beginning of the campaign. Are psionics and magic overlapping or are they separate? Right. And that's an important, that's an important thing to decide because let's say you walk into the room, you're a wizard, you walk into the room and there's a scion that is currently using his psionic powers on somebody. Can you cast dispel magic and stop the power he's currently using? If they overlap, yes. Dispel magic and dispel psionics both do the same thing. They both dispel magic. They both dispel psionics. But then you might decide, no, they're separate. In which case, you get in there, you cast dispel magic, nothing happens because that's like casting spell magic on the fighter's sword. You know, you're it's a swinging sword. You're not your magic isn't going to dispel that. It's just going to keep going. Um apparently like I, I I listened to some some YouTube videos about this. A lot of people were really upset at the idea that they would overlap. A lot of people really wanted them to be separate. Mm-hmm. I can see the arguments on both sides. I just think that like yeah, for simplicity's sake it just make for me personally I would say it makes sense to have them overlap because if if they don't overlap I feel like it either makes whichever one is less common more powerful. Sure. Cuz like if there's tons of magic, lots of people can dispel magic, lots of people can give you uh defenses against magic and so on and so on, but then the one scion that shows up nobody can stand up to them because nobody has any defenses against psionics. Yeah. Whereas if magic is like the weird one, if everybody's got defense against psionics and then a sorcerer shows up, they're going to be the powerful one because, again, nobody has defense against yeah. them. Yeah. I was going to say that that's that's more a DM problem, but it's probably also, it could yeah. be all very much a, a player problem. But um, Sure. Like, like if a player wants to make a, like a scion and the DM has already decided they were going to be running this one pre-made adventure that has, like, basically, like, this adventure has no touch of Scion in it whatsoever. Yeah. Like, it's a lot, like, it'll be a lot of extra work for the DM to put some Scion stuff in there to kind of, you know, make up for that. Yeah. Or that player is going to have a distinct advantage because nothing can stop him. 
because sure. nothing, you know, n- there's nothing written in that adventure that has any defense against psionic abilities yep. beyond just normal hit points and AC and stuff. But uh, but I guess if like if a you know if a DM throws in a, an odd scion here and there, and the party just doesn't you know like and like none of the players have ever read a psionic you know any of the psionic handbooks or anything, they might be yep. like, why? I can't why can't I dispel his you know his his defenses what's going on this is so this is this is bull crap yeah so like yeah like having it overlap just makes things like simpler mostly for the DM but if the DM is having if the DM is if the thing if the game is overcomplicated for the DM like the players aren't going to have as much fun sure um a long time ago we had an episode about where we talked about like the um difference between arcane and divine magic I think the question was like does divine magic work in an arcane anti-magic field or something like that? Um, right. I think it would be interesting to run a campaign where arcane magic, divine magic, and psionics all exist and none of them overlap. I think yeah. that would be real interesting. That'd be neat, yeah. It would be a lot of work for the, you know, a lot of work to set up and to make significant, but, mm. you know. I find it interesting the way they're doing it in uh, Pathfinder Second Edition, where there's like, there's like four flavors of magic. Okay. And I and I, from what I understand, there there was some of this in in Pathfinder First Edition, where like it's there's arcane. I think there's like arcane, divine, occult, and primal. Oh, okay. Like magic. Yeah. And so like a a wizard is gonna like a wizard's gonna be arcane, but I think they might be able to like depending they might be able to choose from different uh from different lists so there's like there's basically four lists of spells sure and like uh you know a cleric might only get access to the divine or a or a druid might only get access to the primal but like a sorcerer depending on their bloodline might be able to pick from you know the different from any one of them mm-hmm. um so like the idea of these like f- you know these three different flavors of magic, but yeah they don't they don't quite overlap, but because they're you know all very present in the in the in the setting, I think that would be pretty interesting because it's like so you know you might even have like a rock paper scissors sort of situation too that might be Ooh, cool yeah so like uh you know psionics psionics trumps divine but and divine trumps uh, arcane but arcane trumps you know psionics or something sure i mean i really like that i i think that's a really cool idea again it's a lot, it'd be a lot of work to really set that up and really use it but uh man mm-hmm. i'm on board for that if, if that's what the campaign is yeah yeah it might be some cool you know overarching plot about the balance of them all or something sure um and then it's it's worth mentioning here that uh, a, there are a lot of um a lot of monsters that either are psionic or were psionic at one point in their creation. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, w- I wanted to bring up mind flayers. Um, mm-hmm. So, so like mind flayers are one of the examples of like a monster that is, that has psionic abilities and like yeah. they didn't originally or like in, in the monster manual, did they have psionic abilities? Not in, um, not in, in like third edition, for example, but I think, the first book that ever in like first edition that ever introduced mind flayers, I think was the psionics handbook. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. I didn't like find the book in question, but right. from 
listening to people talk about it on on in YouTube videos and such. That's the impression I got is that they were first introduced as psionic monsters. Right, because the idea is like they're these like hyper intelligent beings from the from future, the maybe. Future, yes, you know, so like and like they don't have, they're not, they're very frail physically, but they're supposed to be like incredibly powerful, you know, mm-hmm. you know, psionics basically, because like they don't, like I even want to say like in Mind Flayer society, like I feel like they frown upon like normal magic using, sure or something. Like I like I know I know at the very least they don't like sorcerers. Like if you're if yeah. you're if you're a uh, mind flare sorcerer, they're like ew, this thing. Ew. Um, I'm not sure if the same goes for like uh like a wizard because I know that like they have like arcane they have spells that they can use, but I'm pretty yeah. sure like I'm pretty sure the idea at least flavor wise is that that is like a mental thing. So sure. like in this when they brought psionics into third edition and 3.5, like I think. Mind flayers got like they had psionic powers per day instead of instead of spells per day or whatever that they can use. If it, if it wasn't, uh, I don't think it was like that initially, like in the right. first Monster Manual. But I'm sure there was a version yeah. later on. Yeah, th- and yeah. then that totally feels natural. Um, one thing I want to bring up, and this is when I was looking at the um, uh, the expanded psionics handbook for third uh, three point five. Yeah. Um, so. In a, in like in most in most especially the larger books, um, they you know they always like to add more character options and stuff, yeah. and you know this one is pointed towards psionics. So you got all the different different psionic classes. You got you know like you said the scion and the psychic warrior and all that, and then they also add some races because you want to add more character options options obviously. Sure, and like you got your um, so tied with the. Uh, uh, mind flayers. You got the Gith, Githzerai and the Githyanki. Yeah. Because uh, the Githzerai and the Githyanki were enslaved by the mind flayers, but then rose up and basically wiped out the mind flayers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, like, there is sort of like a, there's like, okay, I get it. Like, they, they probably had to, like, develop psychic ability to, to, to fight back. So, yeah. like, they, they, ha- like, I don't know if they've always had the psychic abilities or if they just kind of developed them to fight back against mm-hmm. the mind flayers. Um, but you can you can make that jump in your head. Oh, I get it. They have psychic powers, right? Yeah. So they also include half giant. Yeah. Um, and I remember I remember seeing this book and being like, okay, what? Like, why is half giant in there? And it's like, okay, like you're thinking like, oh, maybe they just threw half giant in there just to throw half giant in there. But they gave half giant like psionic traits yeah it feels so like shoved in there and it, it makes me mad because it's like okay half giants what if i want to play a half giant but i don't want anything to do with psionics their favorite class is psychic warrior it's a half giant why yeah. would a half why would a half giant like just naturally want to be a psychic giants, warrior? the famously psionic enemies that you fight yeah sure right i'm not saying a half giant can't be a scion they can obviously just take the psionic class if that's what you want them to be yeah but like it's a plus one level adjustment which in third edition was a thing like if if you're picking a race that was a little bit more powerful than a you know a core race like you would take Mm -hmm. a level adjustment so like a level one wizard half giant would be actually level two you know yeah so you wouldn't technically be able to take them right away. Although I think there were rules 
in one book that lets you do that or something. Yeah, savage species. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, one of their traits is naturally psionic. Half giants gain two p- bonus power points at first level. This, you know, and like, so they get extra power points for psionic yeah. abilities. They also get a psi like ability a- per day, which is their stomp ability. It was like, okay, so stomping their foot? <laughs> like, you know, you could just get like, and like, if, if they put, if they put half giant in any other book, they would not have this. They would yeah, not I- have natural psionic. They would have. A, they would maybe have a spell-like ability instead of a psi-like ability that yeah. would that would be stomp if that's what they wanted them to do. I guarantee someone was like, "Hey, I really want to put the half giant in one of these books we're coming out with, but we already got all all the other ones are already already written. Uh, here, put it in uh, put it in expanded psionics handbook. Right. Uh, g- give them give them two power points. There you go. Right. Somebody wanted to put half giant out. But the only book that was going to be coming out, you know, in any short amount of time was the psionic one. So they're like, oh, shove it in there. Give it some power points. Yeah. And like the same could kind of be said about the Durgar. Okay. Although they are also like 10, they are so, somewhat really could because of their under dark. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're like a adjacent. So they might, they also might need to be developing psionics to defend themselves against this, uh, against the mind flayers because sure. they're you know, they're, they're, you know, in the same zone. So like, I can guess, I can kind of see that, but at the same time, I'm like that. They didn't need to have that. You could have yeah. put them in a different book or something, but it's a like, bit of a but stretch, beca- but an easier stretch. Sure. But you know, like it just feels like you needed to, you, they were like filling out a book or they just really wanted to get these particular races out there. So like, so now if I want to make a half giant in third edition, I, I like it's I got I either have to have to do psionics or I have to have a wasted abilities that count towards it being a plus one level adjustment. Yeah. Um, like I think they also get powerful build, which is I think itself worth a level adjustment. Sure, sure. But uh, uh, my, yeah. my favorite uh my favorite spell like ability that giants get is called throw rock. <laughs> um, they, <laughs> right. they, they throw a rock. They throw rock has has yeah. somatic components and it functions in an anti-magic field right yeah so and like i'm I'm looking in i'm trying to find like if they explain it and stuff like with a Durgar, i i think they only really say that they're they don't they don't specifically say that like they get their psionic, psionic abilities because they've been fighting against the mind flayers they just mention mind flayers in their you know in the fact that they live around them sure the half giants one is like some half giants have found that their force breeding had engendered them with a spark of psionic power. What? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Why? Why? Yeah, no, I'm with you so, on this one. What? Uh, bred into existence in a desert land by a cruel by cruel sorcerer kings, intending them to use as as warriors and laborers. Okay, that that could be the the backstory of one in one half giant in particular, <laughs> yeah, or like a group of half giants. But why all half giants have psionic ability? Like that doesn't because they because of the cruel sorcerer kings of the desert land. What desert land? Which sorcerer kings? <laughs> Those don't exist in the game we're playing tonight. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, that that doesn't ex- like if I wanted to play a half giant in Johnny's world he built, like he doesn't have any sorcerer kings in the desert land. What is that? Yeah. You know what this makes me realize though, Jeff? What? Hagrid was psionic. 
<laughs> That's what, yeah. You're a scion, Harry. You're a scion, Hagrid. So yeah, th- there were a few races that uh, that were naturally psionic, and that usually meant oh they had a couple extra power points and maybe like this one ability. Um, in Eberron, there was the Kalishtar. Oh right, which I think might exist in fifth edition, but since psionics is not official, right, and they they just kind of excised any sort of um psionic specific mechanics. But Kalishtar were psionic. There was also a Warforged variant you could play as like yeah you could, there was a feat you could take where you your body had psionic crystals embedded in it right yeah so you were able to manifest psionic powers and stuff yeah so you know th- there were definitely a lot of character options in third edition that did uh make you better at being psionic and, and so on mm-hmm. um, but yeah just psionics was just kind of this it was like magic but different you know, di- different in in various Various ways, mostly in terminology. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to 5th edition. Like I said, 4th edition didn't really... I don't think there were any sort of unifying mechanics. It was just, oh, this particular class has psionic listed as the source of their power. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 5th edition, there's, to date, there is nothing official, nothing that has actually been published that uh, that has psionics in it. That being said, it's been a part of the Unearthed Arcana for quite a while. Yeah. Pretty early in 5th edition, they made up the... They came out with the Mystic class, which um, is a psionic class. It's a a full base class, you know, full 20-level class with archetypes and, and, uh, you know, different character options and so on. And that was... uh, So that was a psionic class. I'm not super familiar with the mechanics, but it did have... It had power points, Mm -hmm. uh, or sorry, side points. It had, uh, you know, you, you knew... Spells essentially like you were a sorcerer, but you cast from your points instead of uh, instead of from spells per day. The only real experience I've had with the Mystic was there was an actual play podcast that I listened to really early on in uh, my podcasting career. That one of the players was a Mystic, um, and he very much took all of the spotlight because he was the one character that had unique mechanics yep. and. He was also a player that was very charismatic, and so like every every session revolved around him and his occluded mind ability, whatever that was. And so um, there, so I'll I'll say that um, there was a player that had a that was using a mystic uh, when I ran Chapel on the Cliffs. Okay, and like you know we didn't we didn't we didn't do I think we only played for like three or four sessions because um, we actually never finished it. Sadly, that's a shame. Yeah. It happens. It happens. Um yeah. but they had a they had a mystic and like there there were a couple times and she and she was a newer player, so she wasn't like you know, I would never I would I would never in my life accuse her of like power power gaming or anything like that. But like there were a few times where I was like, Wow, that's that's powerful. Okay. Yeah. Let's sure do that. Like there there and then like it was there was an ability that basically made it so that they can get an exact they could basically see the stat block of the monster <laughs> like oh interesting it was like some like you know it was like because of their psychic ability they can like oh i can i can you know i can see everything i can read the mind of this monster to the point where i know everything about it and mm-hmm. i was like oh okay so as a dm if i feel like you guys are destroying the monster too quickly i can't just 
bump up the hit points <laughs> oh. anymore because you've already yeah. read the number of hit points. Yeah. And I'm not going to be like, no, your ability that you chose specifically right. doesn't work. You know, like, I, yeah, that's, like, I, oh man, that's, that's a tough one. Yeah. Um, so flipping through the mystic, the soul knife actually was a mystic archetype. Mm. It was like one of the orders you could choose. Sure. Yeah. Uh, whereas that was later made a, a rogue archetype. Um, so yeah, the, the mystic, like I said, was was introduced pretty early in the fifth edition on Earth Arcana. I think the latest revision was 2017. And um that has actually been, I believe that has been discarded. That is it's still there. You can still use it, but they're not going to they're right. not supporting it anymore. If it is ever going to come out in a published book, it's not going to be in the state that it is currently. Um right. in 2019, I think. They introduced a few new psionic options uh, in the form of the Psyknight, or I think they, they changed the names at some points. But currently, we have a fighter archetype, the Psyknight. We have a rogue archetype, the Soul Knife, and the, a sorcerer archetype, the Psionic Soul. Mm. And um, the I mentioned earlier that, like, similar to how there was, like, the um, Psionic Focus mechanic, where, like, each class had some benefit that they got from having their psionic focus or not having their psionic focus. Each of these have something called psionic talent, where at, starting at third level, you get a a psionic talent die, which is a D6. And then there are various things you can do where it's kind of similar to like the um, fighter's superiority dice. Sure. You can like spend, you can spend a use of this power to roll the D6 and then something happens. And then... When you use it, it goes down one die. So it goes from being a D6 to then being a D4. And then if you use it when it's a D4, it goes down to being like you can't use it at all until you do a long rest. I, mm. I believe is maybe I'm actually looking at it right now. I think I'm getting those a little bit wrong, but it's something similar. And then as you level up, it gets it gets higher. So eventually you can be like rolling a D12, which can then go down to a D10 and then a D8, then a D6 and then a D4. And so on. And so each each class has some class abilities that let you do things with that psionic talent die. Right. So they they all kind of they're all kind of tied together with that with that one mechanic. Yes. So like that's that's the unifying mechanic between those classes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as far as fifth edition goes, I feel like this is the only real way to do psionics is to just yeah. have it like be a specialization for different cl- for already existing classes. Sure. Like Maybe at some point they could put in a like a psionic core class, okay, that maybe like you know has elements of all the other little things that they've done. Sure, um, but it's just it, I feel like that's just the easiest way to do it, and I don't think it's going to satisfy most people who are into the psionic stuff. Yeah, like I think the whole I think people who really 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 like psionics really really liked that it was different and and you know it was hard to deal with. Like it made them powerful because it made them unique because it, you know, I'm not trying to talk down on, down on those people. They're like, I think psionics is really cool. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a cool thing to exist. Mm-hmm. And like, I, like, I do feel like it does deserve to be its own thing. Okay. But it's, it's, tr- it's so tricky. It's such a tricky thing to do. Like in an already made system, yeah. like they always, they always tend to add it in later. So like unless they design the entire like edition with that in with that in mind, like I feel like it's really hard to do. Yeah. Um 
Um, from from the research that I did, like one of the videos I watched was, uh, I believe, with Jeremy Crawford. If it wasn't him, maybe it was somebody else. But so, somebody who actually had a hand in designing the um, designing the fifth edition psionic options. And he was saying that, you know, they they put out like the first play test and people didn't like it. So then they they changed what they people said they didn't like. They they made took it in the opposite direction and then people didn't like that either. So then they had to like change it again and try to, you know, get it somewhere in the middle and so on. And so it's been hard because so many people have varying ideas of what psionics should be. Right. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily envy them for for coming up with for having to come up with what psionics is going to be in fifth edition. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think that's, I think that's it. Yeah. I think it, it's because like just since the beginning, there's been, you know, there's wizard and yeah. fighter and like, like there's been like, you know, the additions of like barbarian and monk or came in like the additions later. Yeah. But like everyone's idea of what those things are, are pretty, pretty set at this point. Yeah. Um, and then if you came into the game in first edition, you're going to think of psionics as being this one thing. And then in second edition, you're going to have a completely different idea. And if you came in in third edition, then you think that psionics should be this. Yeah. So, yeah, they're trying to please a bunch of different people all with wildly different ideas. Right. Because, like, a, you know, like the mechanics of a wizard has changed, but like they've the idea of a wizard hasn't, you know, like. Yeah. Like because the mechanics have changed to fit the edition. But like the mechanics of a scion were just are just like changed completely each time, and there's just there's no, like I don't think there's going to be any agreement on it because they haven't they, again because they keep adding it to an already existing game system. Like they're just like all right, and now here's psionics. Sure. Um. So it, like yeah, like like there isn't really going to be one that everyone's going to be happy with, which is why I think like the way that they're doing it with like the spe- with like the different like um you know, class specializations, like mm-hmm. that's going to be, I feel like that's going to be the best way to do it. Cause you can give them like with the unifying, like uh, ability with the, with the dice, like you do make them unique to being psychic. Sure. Um, you give them, you know, that, that thing that makes them different. So it's, it is, it's, it's really tricky, but like most of what I think of psionics comes from when I played th- three, uh, third edition, three, three point yeah. like third way. edition, like the old, you know, there's like there was the old psionics book because uh, I think uh, I think Steve had that. And like I remember like playing D&D over a weekend with him where we were just like going through and making psionic characters and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to answer the question, uh, what's the difference between psionics and magic? A lot, a lot or nothing. <laughs> right. It's yeah, it's either a lot or or, or not much. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's, you could flavor it. Ex- you could just you could just flavor your wizard as a psychic pretty much yeah <laughs> um and then in 3.5 they then came out with a supplement called magic of incarnum oh which was it did exactly to magic and psionics what psionics did to magic it basically was just another form of magic that you cast it a little bit differently and it had different names you had, you had vestiges instead of spells and then whatever <sighs> and Oh boy, uh, you know, whole but like it's uh, it's so hard keeping all of the diff- the similarities and differences all in in mind at the same time. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I just 
I think I really think that's that's the that's the thing is that it the difference between magic and psionics is psionics was was created after like after the editions already come out. That's the difference yeah. is that it's like it's not it was not made with the system in mind or the or the, rather the system was not made with it in mind so that when it is when it is added it is just this weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> man i I sound like i'm not a fan of it <laughs> but i i do i like psionics like i think it's a cool idea it's just that yeah. i don't i guess i don't like the execution of it in most cases yeah no i, I think you hit the nail on the head you answer the question what is psionics it's a weird thing <laughs> it's it's this weird thing <laughs> yeah uh yeah so that'll i think they'll do for our regular questions for today thank you very much the beverage tea for uh for getting us to research psionics and and talk (laughs) about that for a bit um we do still have our social media questions though our last social media question was what's the biggest monster you have fought or had your party fight in a tabletop rpg uh do you recall uh what the biggest monster you fought was jeff i can't remember what i said last time i I know i at least brought up i think there was the the red dragon that we fought in age of worms. Well, so, so here's the thing. Um, Jay pointed out, he is one of the repliers on the, uh, on, on Twitter. And he mentioned in his Eberron campaign, we fought a colossal red dragon. Okay. Um, well, yeah. Okay. You we- might be con- combining those two in, in your head. Maybe possibly. Cause I do know we fought a, I think, didn't we fight a, Oh wait. Yeah. Mid the big red dragon in the cave. Was it? Or no. Or, we we fought or, three big dragons in Jay's campaign. Right, yeah. And then there was the dragon, like the Warforged dragon, right? Yes, that like was the, that was the final one. That's the one Jay was talking about. Okay, yeah. I do, because I, I remember, <laughs> I remember getting grappled in its mouth and then it used its breath weapon and that killed me. But we all had like our, we all had our like free life true res. Yeah. So like this dragon grapples me in the, with the, with its mouth. Uses its uses its uh, uh, breath weapon, which like launches me out and kills me, and then mm. I immediately come back to life and just charge right back at it, like <laughs> charge right back into its mouth. Right. Oh well, yeah. Basically, because I like I had yeah. I, you know I I was I had like a you know a magic item that gave me flight or something. Mm-hmm. Got to get freedom of movement though, so it can't grapple you. <laughs> right. So yeah, I, th- I, I think I just charged right back at its head right after it yeah. shot me out and killed me. So. Yeah, for for some reason I'm I'm imagining that dragon being smaller than I, I guess it was, but I don't remember. I don't know. We we fought a couple others that were I believe were smaller. Yeah. So, so I don't know. Um I did not find out whether I've ever run a colossal uh creature or not, but I did mention last time that I had the party kind of crawling around on a a giant um cadaver collector, I think is what it was called, like the giant the giant constructs that walk around the Mornland and Eberron and pick up dead bodies. Yeah, yeah, um, that's and right. Normally, yeah. those are only huge size, I think. But the one I I made was Shadow of the Colossus esque. Right. Which, yeah, I like. Yeah, I think I I feel like that makes sense for the Mornland. You know. <laughs> sure. Um. So we got uh, we actually got a lot of responses. I probably won't be reading all of them, but uh, over on Facebook, Jake F says we fought a mud elemental that was literally the size of a Roman Colosseum. The entire ground was its domain, and I recall it rose up in big, massive waves to smother us. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Oof. Um, 
Uh, Alexander P. says, Me and a crew dropped a bomb down the cigar-slash-factory chimney of an evil industrialist-slash-moon. Think Ego the Living Planet crossed with the Monopoly Man in a Saga-slash-Cowboy Bebop-inspired game. <laughs> yeah, okay, that, yes, that's... <laughs> There's a lot there. Um, oh, and apparently the team was comprised of a cactus strongman, a jazz orangutan, an aquatic pretty boy, a cold-hearted cyborg, and a pyromaniac scientist. Oh, man. So it's just got everything in there. Uh, Dan W. says, I did put my party up against a huge shambling mound. They entered a ruined building and found nothing but vegetation. On closer inspection, what they thought were white stones in the moss were actually humanoid teeth. Cue the mound that filled most of the ruin, blocking the exit with vines and summoning twig blights as minions. It was a nice surprise for them. They did great and found a wizard spellbook, a few hundred gold, and a magical harp in the remnants. Hmm. Um, yeah, I guess that's one benefit of fighting a giant creature is you get a giant treasure. Uh, <laughs> Dean A says, level 21 shot finished up with a clockwork Tarask just for fun. Oh. It was the castle of a powerful warlock that had an in-case-of-death curse put upon his castle. And there's even a miniature. There's a photo of a miniature of this clockwork Tarask. I just want to say, I guess I'm not really <laughs> saying anything. I'm just clapping. just want to say. That's the winner right there. We don't usually have a winner of the best uh, best reply, but Dean A, I think you just, I think you just got it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> da, 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 da. Uh, Sean M says had to fight question mark a Venus flytrap with tendril vines popping up from the ground it was a gatekeeper to an ancient temple door fought evoked mental realm black dragon because the guy with the cursed sentient sword needed some help claiming it for himself without all that curse business Nathan O says I don't remember exactly what it was but I think a colossus in tyranny of dragons uh, that's everybody on Facebook, on Reddit. Alstar the Minotaur says, Back in 3.5, my party fought an old purple dragon, which I believe was car- was considered gargantuan, 20 feet by 20 feet. There were lots of templates that you could add to monsters, half dragon being one of them. My DM took an old red dragon and added the half blue dragon template to it. Immunity to fire and lightning, incredible natural armor, insane physical and mental stats, resistant to most magic, and mean as a middle school bully. It was a heck of a fight. I thought there was going to be something in there about the half dragon template increasing its size category for some reason, okay. which I think would have been a really weird, well, weird, uh, uh, addition over on Twitter. Uh, Malro says the whole dungeon, <laughs> i.e. the stone thief, which was a living dungeon that eats other dungeons to incorporate them into itself. I thought that we had heard the best reply to this question <laughs> a moment ago. Jeff, I think we got two. I think we got a tie. Oh for, man, for they, best, they, they should duke it response. out. <laughs> uh, and then uh, dungeon that eats other dungeons. I mean, that's so good. I mean, both of these though, that and the the clockwork Tarask, they're both dungeons that eat other dungeons, or at least dungeons that eat something. Right. Um, if you really think about it, every dungeon eats something. Uh, and then our friend uh, Jason says, "Well, in my Eberron campaign, I had you guys fight a colossal warforged red dragon." In my yeah. Curse of the Crimson okay. Throne game, the party had to fight a partially reconstituted Kazavan, an ancient long-dead warlord who is secretly a colossal great worm blue dragon. There you go. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's intense. Stiltskin Koopa 84 says, probably an adult dragon or a boule. 
think I'm pronouncing that right. Boulet. Boulet. Land shark. Boulet. The beverage tea says, a grumpy DM who was frustrated with life, had kids who interrupted every two minutes, and who took his in real life frustrations out on his players. Far more challenging than anything in Monster Manual or Volos. <laughs> getting, getting a little too real there, beverage tea. So I was... Uh, Dustin says there was this one time Gabe made us fight a colossal corpse collector. It was very mean and scary. I still had nightmares. Oh no. Sorry, Dustin. He's not sorry. No, no, not really. Um, I'll have them fight another one next time. Uh, Debrasaur says I had them awaken a Tarrasque in order to fight a three headed ancient red dragon. Or there was the necro worm made from the corpses of an entire city. (laughs) And that reminds me there's, there was a third edition monster that was, a graveyard come to life like the whole graveyard stands up and like when you kill it it falls apart into like 100 zombies i mm-hmm. think oh yeah um i had i didn't ever have you guys fight one of those but one occurred one appeared in the age of worms but it was fought by npcs because it was just kind of it was during like a montage of of npc stuff at the end of the campaign oh right yeah floofy shub posted a link to I think something from the D&D wiki about uh, Draydens. They are massive ancient beings that predate the multiverse. A Draydens rarely seen true appearance is a cluster of about 40 tubular strands, all symmetrically attached at a central node. Each strand has a mouth at its end and opens upon a digestive passage that leads to a central node. The node is spherical and ridge, resembling a human brain, and is the creature's equivalent of a stomach. It contains several boulders to aid digestion. A Draydens nervous system spans its entire body. The creature's total length varies from 19 to 38 miles tip to tip. Oh. The central node comprises one-tenth of the creature's total diameter. Drayden usually appear to other creatures as the most deadly thing imaginable to those creatures. So for me, it would be a 19 to 38 mile long cluster of tubular strands. That's the deadliest thing to me. Hmm. Black Magus 2651 says, I believe it was the Baylor. Only time my girl Sarah had to revert to dragon form to fight. And last one, Vamp Demigod says, Largest creature I've ever fought was an oversized basilisk in a campaign run through Discord in April 2020. We used Theater of the Mind, but it wouldn't have fit even in the gargantuan size class. It was large enough that a 50-foot-tall underground hall where we started turned out to actually just be the space underneath it. We ended up killing it by having the sorcerer shoot fire up its nose. Later, <laughs> the DM for that game told me she had BS'd several rolls because if she hadn't, the sorcerer would have been turned to stone and I would have been squashed under a falling rock as it fell off the basilisk. She had an adverse environment thing going on with falling rubble from the rocks that had piled over the basilisk or something. <laughs> so, yeah, some good responses, everybody. Thank you very much. Uh, there were, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised and not surprised there were not very many people who had fought you know, colossal or gargantuan creatures. Most of them were like a Baylor, which is large or huge, you know. Sure. Um, so that was our last social media question. Our next social media question is, does your group use any custom or homebrew critical hit rules? Mm. I know we've talked about this in the past. I don't think it's ever been a social media question, though. Do you use custom critical hit rules, either like a critical hit table, critical fumble table, so on? Do you use those? If so, what are your thoughts on them? I know, uh, I know, I know. We never really did. Yeah, just because they're kind of rough. Yeah, I mean, like for the most part, I've I've just never really cared about them. But like in recent years, I've begun to realize that they aren't good. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm, just if you if you really 
if you really pay attention to like how how the game is played and what long term what long term drawbacks do to players, it really never seems worth it. Yeah. I, I, anyway, I, the whole reason I put this is because, of course, as I am wont to do, I was in an internet argument with somebody a few days ago about <laughs> critical hit rules, and, and anyway, right. But we've already we've already done you know main segments about it. But I just figured I'd see what uh, see what our listeners have to say about what they use in their own games. And I'm not saying you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying you could do, be doing it better. <laughs> you know. Anyway, so that'll do it for our questions for today. Um, but before we close out, let's let's wind down. Let's take a deep breath. let's remember those who have come before us who have given their lives that we may have a better world to live in as we toss another log onto the funeral pyre today's funeral pyre was submitted by Hyron2 via reddit and they said blades in the dark campaign I'm GMing Crew's whisper, Lagramond, is being drowned by a possessed giant eel. He is on his last legs, one stress away from taking final trauma, multiple instances of harm. I just want to say, I only understand about half of the words that are, or I only have context for about half the words that have been said so far. Uh-huh. But anyway, tries to attack Beast's mind and obliterate the spirit controlling it. Rolls success with consequences. So he drowned. Then his ghost kicked the crap out of the spirit possessing the eel, took its place, and had a nice dinner of a now uninhabited human corpse in its grip. Mm. We now call this beast Eelgrimond. He is still around. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so I guess let's raise a glass in memory of Eelgrimond <laughs> or Lagrimond or whatever. As I say, is it cannibalism? If you possess an eel and then eat yourself. <laughs> Clink? I don't know the answer, uh, <laughs> listeners. But that'll do it for today. Uh, to submit questions for us to discuss, items of the Dragon's Horde or stories for the Funeral Pyre, please email us at innerpartyconflict at gmail.com. For show notes, links to media mentioned on the show, and running lists of questions and magic items, go to innerpartyconflict.com. Join the discussion on social media. We are on Facebook. We are on Reddit. We're on our Interparty Discord. We're on Twitter at InPartyConflict. Check those out for our weekly social media questions. Your answers might end up on the show. You can find us on the podcatcher of your choice. We are on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, YouTube, Spotify, anywhere you download podcasts. Please rate, review, subscribe, or just tell a friend. If you want to support the show monetarily, check out the rewards at patreon.com slash interpartyconflict. We have a few different tiers, so anything you can spare, even a dollar a month, would go towards making the show better, and you'll get bonus content for it. Jeff, tell us about FriendQuest. FriendQuest is a YouTube channel where you can watch us play video games, or you can join me over at twitch.tv slash tiltedtortle to watch me play games live. That's correct. Also, head over to bit.ly slash interpartyconflict to take a short survey about our show what you like, what you don't like, etc. And just for taking it, you'll get two free printable board games courtesy of Mary and Tom over at hollandspiel.com. And our music is made by Boxcat Games from Nameless the Hackers RPG. So, Jeff, until next time... Knock, knock. Who's there? Interrupting Cow and his best friend. Interrupting Cow and his best friend.